enterprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest states these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the focal focal point of my team. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show is presented by Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is fusing fashion and function for runners of all abilities. And let me just tell you, I am looking at my new Mercury Mile box that I just got in the mail. It's sitting here, right on my table, right now, as I'm recording this intro. I haven't even opened it yet. That's literally what has happened today. I got the box and I wanted to record this intro because I'm so excited because this is what happens when I get a Mercury Mile box. It's going to be filled with four to six items. I can keep what I love. I can send back what I don't. There's a package right in there. Just put it right in the package, seal it up, pop, pop it back in the mail. It's gone. I pay for what I keep. And it's such a good deal, too. They made it so easy, so simple, and it's all the best running gear. Thank you, Mercury Mile. And if you go to mercurymile.com, you can use code RAMBLINGRUNNER10 to save $10 at checkout. So this episode is one that I wanted to do for a while because it is with one of the best runners in the country and one of the best writers in the country. This is Katie Arnold. She recently came out with a book called Running Home. And this, uh, this is just the truth. It's the best book I've ever read. Full stop. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's very emotional. It has a lot of themes about family and self-awareness and understanding uh, our lives and our interconnectedness. Oh, yeah. And it's about running. So it's a big part of it, but it's not a running book, so to speak. It's just by an author who happens to run and also who happens to run really, really fast. <laughs> so Katie is a trail runner extraordinaire, has won the Leadville 100 and a number of other races. I'm not going to prolong the intro by listing her running bona fides. They're exceptional. She's one of the best runners in the country. That's all you need to know. But she's also one of the best writers in the country. We spend about the first half of this podcast talking about her book and we talk the second half uh, and about her writing, about, about her writing, about her running, I should say. But we do talk about her writing as well. Ah, man, we spoke for about 45 minutes. I wish I could talk to her for three hours and 45 minutes. She's that insightful, that much fun, and that energetic. Thank you so much, Katie, for coming on the show. And I hope you like our conversation. And before we get into this episode with Katie, is your recovery holding you back from taking it to the next level as an athlete? Well, let me tell you, when your body repairs itself well, you will get better. Have you heard about the growing number of athletes supplementing with CBD oil made from hemp extract? That's because CBD works with your own body's endocannabinoid system. And when this system is healthy, you have superior recovery. Maybe you're curious about where to get the best CBD or you're just unsure about it generally. That's where TuneUp CBD comes in. This line of CBD products was developed by a recreationally competitive athlete who herself was having issues with building up mileage because of poor recovery. TuneUp was born out of this need and have a line of quality CBD products that even I use. So they have the CBD oil for daily supplementation and a joint and muscle balm that was 
basically one of the favorites for their customers. I actually know a doctor who prescribes this instead of Advil um, for some of the people that they work with, which is uh, which says a lot. So TuneUp only uses premium quality oil from hand-selected, organically grown hemp, no artificial flavorings or colorings, and it has third-party tested, and its potency is guaranteed. Right now, they have a special code for listeners of this podcast. Use the code RAMBLING. That's R-A-M-B-L-I-N-G. I don't even know why I spelled it out. You know how to spell rambling. For 10% off orders at TuneUpCBD.com. I use the oil every day. I love it. And thank you, TuneUpCBD, for sponsoring the podcast. Hello, Katie, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hey, Matt. Glad to be here. I'm so honored that you're agreeing <laughs> to do this. I'm so excited to talk to you Um you put out a book recently called Running Home, which was just, I, I was telling a friend of mine that I swear it's the best book I think oh. I've ever read. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. I love to yeah. hear that. Wow. That's huge. It, it, it was it was one of those things. I, I read um, a blog post. I think you actually tweeted it yesterday by a woman who co-hosts the uh, an Ultra Running podcast. And Yes, Sarah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So she was talking about how she, some people might say they can't put the book down, but for her, <laughs> she funny. couldn't pick it up because it, it really is an emotional read. And we'll get into it, but I had a mix of those two emotions. So I had like, part of me was like circling the block on my commute, not wanting to pull into my driveway because I wanted to listen to the episodes, but then part of the episodes to the book. And then part of me was like dreading diving into it again, mm. because it, it just brings up a lot of emotions. Yeah, I think it does. I, but it was funny that when she said that she had trouble picking it up. I thought, well, is that a compliment? But then, it, it, you know, I understood that it was one. But I've, ha- I've had both. I've heard people say they and the same person sometimes say the same thing, that, that they can't put it down, but that they also want to slow down because they don't want it to end. Yes. Which I love both of those. Yes, I agree. It was also a wonderful jumping off point when I met with my therapist later that week. <laughs> it's like, I have a lot of things to talk about. Um, so, so for me, I think one of the key things, and again, I'm a huge fan of running books, um, all mm-hmm. sorts, fiction, nonfiction, whatever. But for me, this book was more, it read more like an author who happens to run right. and not simply a running book. And I want to preface not preface the conversation by saying that because this is obviously a running podcast but i thought it was you know you talk a lot about running in there it's not like it's not in the book it's in there all the time mm-hmm. but it doesn't but it doesn't feel as much as a running book so i guess kudos on that especially considering that you are such an accomplished runner and i feel like you bury the lead on that point many <laughs> times in this book <laughs> I think that's my style a little bit <laughs> is to um, be sort of the kid out of nowhere or, um, you know, the one you don't see coming. And uh, but I'm glad that you found like I never really conceived of this as a running book. Obviously, running is the through line and it's the sort of medium. It's the vehicle to carry the narrative and the story about finding out who I am at the same time I f- was learning about my father after his death. But um yeah, I've always seen it much more than um, a running book or a book for runners. Right. And then it this also seems to be a symbiotic relationship with your writing and your mm-hmm. running, even yeah. going back to you shoot, you started both of them at age seven. Yeah. 
I've always been in motion and, um, which isn't to say that I'm sort of restless and can't settle down because I'm also a voracious reader, um, which I do do when I'm sitting, (laughs) I don't read and run. Um, but I write and run and I've always been that way. I've like early, early on. And I write about this in running home, but I discovered that link between being in motion and being in your imagination and how the two go hand in hand. So, so running or movement, especially in nature has always been central to my writing process. And what was always. it always? Yeah. What was it like to be writing about running and parenting, but at the same time running and parenting, <laughs> because obviously writing a book is not like a weekend endeavor. So was it like a little meta for you in terms of like producing this book about such heady topics while also running so much and then to produce the book. And then, yeah. And, you know, so it seems like, like it's, it's like it's the circular element to the production slash running running element uh, within your own life. I love that you see the circularity because that is really the essential structure of the book, right? And and one of its deepest themes is that sort of no beginning, no end, or the thing that we think is the ending is really the beginning, and what what is the beginning is the ending of something else. And um, so it was. It was always super meta, even when my, you know, small mind couldn't grasp it. I felt it. I felt that I was, um, the thing I was writing about running was also the way I was writing. And so, I mean, just on a practical level, I would run most mornings before I sat at my desk. And that's just as a way to go out and sort of set the tone for the day, but also to put... I mean, writing is such a rhythmic exercise for me, and it's it's about the cadence, and it's it has a big musicality to it, which is also like a sub-sub theme in the book is music. But um, so I would go by running and then coming home, right? I would run and put the running in my body and that rhythm, and then I would come home and bring that rhythm of running into my writing. So yeah. it was very symbiotic. And you know, where you live in Santa Fe, you talk all the time about running up your mountain. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying, I'm not putting words in your mouth. You call it your yeah. mountain, which I love. Um, not that you not to the exclusion. Yeah. Not to the exclusion of others. Oh, Everyone no. probably calls it their mountain, but I, it's a personal, <laughs> it, 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 it connotes like a personal deeper connection that I've had with it for many, many years. Right. It's like saying my co-op. It's like, ah, right. is it mine? I don't know. But yeah. it's, it's, but it, it, I love that. I love how you, you, you know, this idea of you running up this mountain all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, 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 another, another, I don't know if it's like a literary trick or something, but it has, it has a lot of meanings in the book, but this is one of those things where you know, you're constantly doing that. And as you're progressing through the book, you're talking about how like you're running more and more mountains, you're running evolves uh, into trail running and then, you know, ultras at varying distances mm-hmm. and, then you run your hundred mile race after you put out the book or after you finish mm-hmm. writing the manuscript, I should right. say. Um, but at the same time, as you're juxtaposing your running with the relationship that you had with your father, mm-hmm. it seemed like it was like you almost wanted to get in terms of like, um, and I might stumble over a couple of my wordings here and I apologize to the listeners for that, but I want to get, get the right words exactly. If for no other reason, and you're so good with words. And that's part of the reason <laughs> I love this book. But, <laughs> but as you're juxtaposing this, this mountain climbing, mountain running with also just how you're trying to like dig into the past and kind of like 
dig into your relationship with your father, which seems like you, it's almost, it, it reads as if you want to do the same thing with that analysis. Like you want to get to the top of that mountain where all things become clear, all hurdles have been overcome, but it's one of those things that is just not that kind of mission. Right. Like think that I was always in detective mode and sleuthing mode. And that came from being a very young child and being the child of divorce in the seventies when, you know, divorce was super new and no one told the kids anything. And so you go as a kid, especially just, and already I have a big imagination as a child. And I'm the daughter of a photographer who was very much teaching me how to see the world by keeping my eyes open. You know, you get into this mode of wanting to solve the mystery. And, um, and that carried on into my adulthood after my father passed away. And I discovered all of this incredible material he'd left behind, not just photographs, which we knew, right, because he was a photographer for National Geographic and had an immense and, you know, stunning body of work. But also, he was a beautiful writer, and he left many writings behind. And so as I was discovering this, all of this little by little, literally, as I was grieving. And as I was running, it was this sort of step-by-step process. I didn't find all his material at once, or rather I should say, I found a lot of it at once, but I couldn't go through it all at once. It was too painful. I knew I had to, you know, to use a running metaphor, pace myself with it. And um, so, right, as I was running and kind of pushing, wanting to push myself and see what my own physical and emotional endurance was, I was, um, on this sort of mission to understand what, you know, what had happened with my father and, and the more complete story of my childhood. And, um, but at a certain point, there's this moment, you know, there's this understanding for me that it's not about the end result. It's always for me running and writing is about the process. And, um, so I think, I never really expected to be there to be a finish line for figuring out my dad or the top of the mountain, so to speak, you know, that I would get there and that was it. Um, and I would know everything. Um, you know, as I go, I sort of just realize that I, I almost, I do relish the not knowing and there, that's a powerful place to be in when you don't have all the answers that the questions almost are more profound and, captivating than the answers. And how much of that discovery and sleuthing that you were doing, um, how much of that, especially now that you can look back on that time period, do you think was related to, you know, trying to figure out the things that were unsaid in terms of your family splitting apart Mm -hmm. at an early age? And then also part of that, just learning more about yourself from a self-awareness perspective, as if like there was like a key to be found in these in these writings that would unlock something for you that was always just a little bit to mix my metaphors, just a little bit out of reach. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I sense that what I had stumbled upon was this incredible um, collection um, of writings and not just writings, but audio recordings that he made. And um, anyway, an incredible archives that did contain many of the clues to my life. Again, not the answers, because I think we live our own answers. And my dad, my dad's material and my dad's view of the world was never going to give me the answer of myself. Like, you know, only I can do that. And, and one of my ways I do that as forms of pure expression is to be in motion in the wilderness and running. And so, um, but I did feel that as I was uncovering um, the material that he left, that, um, 
it was revealing not only parts of himself, but parts of my essential character, why I have, you know, how I come by my view of the world and how I, as a writer, I'm, you know, this deep observer. And that was really what my father taught me and never explicitly, it was just by osmosis. But, you know, as a photographer, he wanted to capture those moments, those sort of beautiful but ordinary moments that, that make a truly great photograph. And just being his daughter in his presence, and he was always taking pictures, I saw how he composed his world. And that had a direct effect on how I saw the world as a writer. And so, you know, we both were creative people, are creative people, or he was. And, um, and you know, his medium was pictures and mine's words. Um, but, you know, going through and, and seeing what a beautiful writer he really was, um, was was kind of remarkable to me because it it made my own life's trajectory make more sense. Yeah, and one of the one of the quotes that you had on another show that I thought was really good was you you talked about how you know the book looks at contradictory things. Uh, this is you speaking now. Books look at con- the book looks at contradictory contradictory things. Sorry, <laughs> uh, we don't necessarily one thing or the other. We are often both, and I thought that really spoke mm-hmm. to. It's just your, your relationship with your dad in terms of you guys seem, and you, you say this as well, so similar mm-hmm. in so many ways and then so starkly different right. in so many ways. And it really is such an odd thing um, to piece together a little bit because, again, your creativity is so alike. And it's so obvious how you, even though you, you didn't grow up with your father mm-hmm. after, after a certain age, mm-hmm. you spent much more time with your mom. It seemed like you guys were kindred spirits in a way. Completely. Yes, completely. And, and, and just what you were saying is sort of like, we are so similar, but also so different. Really what kind of writing this book and that process of writing this book and the process of discovering my father and all that he left behind, some of it was just so stunning. It would take your breath away. At the same time, it was devastating to read. Um, really taught me, much as running has taught me, that there are no dualities, right? That this this either or, it's either this or that, black or white. There's either this kind of person in the world or that. That's just not how the world is. Like we are many things at once and contradictory things. And that's, you know, that is a beautiful lesson of running that you, um, you know, you can have done, you know, have done the work and show up for a race and then just like receive what the race will give you. It might be an incredible day. It might be a hard day. And in the course of an ultra, you will probably have those euphoric highs and the lows. And so running really taught me how to hold both at the same time. And that's kind of that deeper Zen practice that I start to get at a little bit in the book, Um, but that it's not either or. My dad wasn't, you know, a great father or a terrible father, right? You know, he's human and we all are. And, And that's the ultimate moment, I think, of forgiveness in the book is realizing that his secrets are all of our secrets, you know, truly. Right. And it's like he, he was in, at, at both times did not want to be tied down to his family, mm-hmm. but then clearly had a lot of love for you and your sister. Cause he, you know, was writing you these enormous yeah, letters. letters. He was like right. a prolific writer in his oh, own way. Incredible. I oh. know. And yeah, he really was. He was. And again, that's that sort of, you know, not this or that, but like he wasn't part, you know, he wasn't in my everyday life. And, but yet he was so deeply connected. And so 
um, being his daughter and, and sort of how open he was later in his life about the choices he'd made and some of his regrets was this incredible model for me on just um, owning your story, the good and the bad and, and living it and without shame, you know, and there's that moment in the, in the book and he writes me this incredible letter that sort of gave me a lot of answers. And that was such a generous letter. There was so much generosity in the way he wrote me his story. And a lot of it was not, you know, he did not come off favorably. Um, but it was such an exquisite act of generosity to, to show himself and the vulnerability. And I think that's sort of what we deal with now with the world of social media. People present one side, you know, and um, we, we fail to see that there's the, sha- the, or the shadows. And my dad really, and I write about that sort of in the context of photography, it takes lights and darks sun and shadow. And my father really showed us his shadows too. And you know, what a gift that was painful, but what a gift. Yeah. That letter was a, was a tough one. Yeah. Like you said, Super he was, tough. he was very honest in it, which is, you know, which it speaks to the generosity yeah. of it, which doesn't make it any easier. No. Um, and I don't want to give away the whole book, Mm-mm. not that it's Mm-mm. fiction verse, like, like giving away the last episode of Game you know, of Thrones or something. That. I appreciate that. <laughs> but, Let's not do that. <laughs> yeah. But I think there, there is, there is a lot to it. Now, when you were going through this process of, you know, all of his writings and analyzing it and then writing about, you know, your relationship with your father and connecting it to your family and, you know, your, you know, the family that you've made with your husband and also, mm-hmm. you know, growing up, what was it like for you to then reflect and think about your own parenting style in light of analyzing your parents? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, the word analyze just makes me nervous because I'm like, am I, I, did I analyze it? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a really deep feeling person. So like I might feel mm-hmm. something, but my brain might not be able to totally like, you know, analyze and, and make sense of it. But I know that I, it was so important to me to raise my girls in much the same way that my dad, albeit from a distance, had raised my sister and me. Um, I'm, I'm one of two girls and I have two girls, which is sort of a neat parallel. Um, but, you know, my dad was always taking us out, um, showing us that we were stronger than we thought we were. And, um, you know, letting us have our own relationship with the natural world and with ourselves, like with our imaginations. And that's what I was talking about earlier about how feeling those stories come up, come into me as I rode my bike or, you know, ran around like kids do. And, um, and so it's important, you know, from the get go, even before my dad died, before I conceived of this book, before I knew I was writing this book, because it was, it was not premeditated at all that I would, you know, my dad would, I I didn't think that when my dad died, like now I'm going to write a book about it. You know, it was just so organic, literally, as I ran, I realized, you know, over several years that I was, that what I was writing in my notebooks as personal jottings was really the outline of a book. Um, but, you know, it's it just even before all that, when my husband and I had our first daughter 10 years ago, we knew we wanted to raise her sort of outside in wild places with that curious, open mind. And um, and that's a large, you know, influence. You know, my dad was a large influence on that. And he was able to see some of it which I'm glad. And there's a moment in the book where he's super sick and it's, you know, maybe a week or two before he dies. And, um, and he, he says that he says, I'm very proud of the way you're raising the girls. 
And um, that was so gratifying, you know, because I aspire to, you know, the style of, in many ways, the style of parenting he did, which on the surface, one might think, oh, that's, he wasn't a very good parent, but there were many great gifts he gave us. Yeah, no, for sure. It, it's, it's, it is fun to, to visualize you and your sister outside all the time. And I love the cover picture. On, oh, I know. And we, it's just, it's, yeah. it's ideal. Yeah. It really captures that sort of like the joy that I feel running, but also that, you know, that I kind of think her of a, as a girl, cause I know it's me, but like, she's also a girl, like a different girl, but she's got that real look of joy, but also like something about her arms, like she's determined. And I love that. Oh, yeah. I love that. My girls very much have that spirit. They're joyful, but also like, you know, they get after it. <laughs> well, the, the one part of the book that was scary for me, and this is me internalizing the work is mm-hmm. your recollections on your family at age, you know, five, six, seven, because yeah. that's how old my daughter is. And I'm like, right. oh my gosh, I don't want her to remember some of this, know. <laughs> you know, like me losing my temper or, I know, you know what I mean? Right? Or like, just put on your shoes or, you know, or whatever. And you have these moments, or I had these moments where I'm like, oh my goodness, like if my daughter is going to write a book about me, I hope, I hope, I hope like there's some positives in there. So it was like, I don't know if you had the same experience as you're going through here of like, all right, how, what is going to be my legacy? Cause this really is a memoir, not only for you, but your father as well. So, you know, if you ever reflected back on that in terms of like, you know, 30 years from now, what is going to be my story in this same context? Oh, sure. I think about that a lot. I mean, I, I didn't think about it when I was writing as much because the, the book always had a really strong energy and momentum from the very beginning, like right as soon as I realized that what I'd been doing was writing a book, like it wanted to come out. And my job, I feel like was just sort of to shepherd it out, like to bring the story forth because the story had its own energy. So while it was coming out, I I wasn't thinking so much about um, the later effects or sort of what might happen down the road. But now that I've you know, the book is out in the world. And I do think I look at my daughters and I, I kind of want to get into their minds because they're eight and 10. And I'm like, I, I have those same questions. Like, what of this is, what of this are they going to remember? And what will just be lost to their days? You know, and like, what will stick and what will, you know, dissipate? And it's so fascinating. Like it, it for me, it's not as much a fear as a real deep curiosity of like wanting to get into the mind of a young girl. And, um, and, and then in just in terms of my, like my own material, I, I write in notebooks and that's something that my dad, he always carried around little steno notebooks and he would write like super mundane things like his gas mileage and his expenses and what he spent at like, you know, the, the Martin's food store. Um, but I write, I carry notebooks and I write kind of anything that catches my eye or snips of, you know, um, dialogue or what I hear or things I'm thinking about. And so I have like a mountain of notebooks. And just the other day, my daughter was up in my writing loft, my older daughter, she's 10. And I sort of show, you know, I kind of wave my hand at them. And I said, someday, all of these are going to be yours to, to deal with or to figure out. And um, I laughed as I said it. And, and I just, you know, I very much believe that if she so, in, you know, if she's interested, it's there. And there's a lot in there that's not, you know, the shiny, happy picture. Um, but I'm I, I believe in putting it down. And um, 
and then letting the story unfold as it will when she finds it. I love how you describe your writing process. It almost sounds like you're like this open channel through which the Mm -hmm. story is coming out. Yes, I feel that. I like the way you put that, actually. I feel that 100%. And that is this flow state that I feel when I run. Obviously, not all the time when I run because there are hard days or sticky days, as I call them. But um, And same with my writing. But for the most part, writing this book was like being in a flow state of just realizing and feeling the energy of the book and the story. And kind of even the way I found the material that my dad had left was very much how it happened in the book, you know, just like at the right time, the right thing at the right time would show up. And, um, and so that takes a lot of um, kind of letting go of what, you know, your analytical mind or your ego and thinking that you're the boss of the book. Like anytime I, I sort of thought I was the boss of the book or I thought I was going to be bossy around it and, you know, I was going to call all the shots. I just would cause myself suffering. <laughs> and misery. And I would kind of get screeched to a halt or like, I would realize that I was stifling this natural energy, man. I'll tell you what the <laughs> parallels between that and how you describe your racing, or at least when you race yeah. at your best is yes, like, it's exactly. eerie. Totally. That's the same. It's the same process. It's like being open to the unknowns, right. And like allowing for that mystery. And that, you know, that is a, place of vulnerability for sure that we are not often taught how to be in that place or how to be in it comfortably like everyone you know we think we need to know what the outcome is or we have to be super goal oriented or I'm going to be you know I'm going to decide everything about my book and um but I find that that it like kills my process it kills the creativity but it is scary to be in the unknown I'm kind of in that right now like I'm promoting my book and um I want to know how it's going to be Right. But then I have to remind myself, oh, right, right, Katie, like learn, you know, you have to relive the lesson that you learned in the book, which is that when you don't know it being in that not knowing space can be the most fruitful place of all, because then you're then you're open to those sort of serendipitous turns or that mystery that happens and comes in um, that can take you places you never imagined, because that is more powerful, I think, than anyone's individual will. I mean, which isn't to say self-discipline isn't super important. I'm very disciplined and motivated with my running. But then at a certain point, you have to let go. Right. But it's so different as opposed to writing and running versus getting the word out there in a book because the book isn't going anywhere. Right. It's like it's in doubt. It's going to stay here. And hopefully the interest that kicks off of it is wonderful because, you know, again, it's not going anywhere 30 years from now. Someone might pick up the book for the first time and not have ever heard of Katie Arnold. I've been like, wow, this is really good. Like, I'm, I'm really excited. But but I kind of think the book still is going somewhere. Like the story didn't, I mean, and that kind of goes back to that, the theme of circularity is, is like no beginning, no end. Like the, the book doesn't end on the last page, you know, and the story is much bigger than me or my father or even running. Like the story includes then anyone who reads the book is part of the story. And this is part of the story, right? Like it's continuing. And um, we can't see how this fits into the bigger piece of the, you know, to the bigger puzzle right now. But um, so I don't think it's a, this static thing. I mean, yes, like the book is, the book has a last page and it's complete and it has a cover and it's like in the world. 
but um, there's it, it there's a continuum that I feel like it's still showing me. And anytime I think it's done, I think that's limited thinking, right? And it's like, okay, well, where's the book going to take me next? Because it's very much this like living thing. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And I think anyone who revisits a book knows that feeling. When you read it the mm-hmm. second time or third time, you might get something different out of it. Um, also there's the part of it too, that once someone purchases it, it's no longer your book, Katie Arnold, it's their book and they can read and they, how they experience it is a, is a very individualistic thing, not only in general, but each time they experience it, it's equally individualistic and also can be different. Right. Which is again, that reinforcing that lesson of like, you know, it's not me or like, or my ego, right. The book is separate. And I've always felt that like I've, I felt that the book is separate from me in a good way, like that it's just this, this, its own entity that I'm kind of bringing forth, as you said, like a channel, like channeling it. Yeah. So you, I love that. you've had some, some, obviously some high level races in the intro. I described your running ability, which if you're looking for a Katie Arnold's running ability, don't read this book. <laughs> <laughs> this is not, this is not a how to trail no. runner. Um, even though, although I do give little, t- I yeah. mean, I sort of give insights into it, for sure. but my way is very different, very, um, not conventional. I don't think with elite athletes. No, that is 100% true. <laughs> and you definitely don't describe yourself as such. And that was one of the things too, because at first I was like, I think this is a different Katie Arnold. I actually had that experience where I'm like, is this, oh, funny. Is there, are there two Katie Arnolds? Oh, because like, I didn't, because this is an audiobook for me. That's how I consume mm-hmm. books. Usually I'm running, I'm driving around, right. doing the dishes, whatever. And so I'm like, I, there was no desk jacket for me to look at. Oh, so I'm like, wait, hold on a second. Because again, you talk about your running. I, I specifically want to pick it up when you move to Santa Fe from a running perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because that seems like, again, you were, you picked up, you did your first race when you were seven, which is a fantastic story. Mm-hmm. And I love how the book ends. Yeah. I'm not going to give it away, but yeah. it's, um, but just picking up when you moved to Santa Fe, it seems like when you move there, a lot, a lot in your life starts to align on mm-hmm. a path um, at right. that point. And specifically you're running as well. And so when you mm-hmm. move there and all of a sudden you're living this outside life that you mm-hmm. and your family covet, what did you notice about your running in terms of what it meant for you at that season of your life? Yeah, well, running's always been this very personal endeavor, right? Because as you mentioned, like as a child, I was a runner and, but I, I only ran a, one race once a year. I didn't compete um, in cross country or track for reasons I describe in the book that, you know, were sort of didn't make sense, but did at the time. And so, but when I got to Santa Fe, the, the same continued running was really a way for me to know my environment. And I was from the East and I'd never set foot in New Mexico. I came out for an internship at outside magazine when I was 23 and, um, running was, and I started running up what I call my mountain. And I would do that like almost every day. It was a practice. I didn't realize that. I wouldn't have called it that at the time because I didn't have that language. But it was a way to know both myself in my new environment and my new environment, which was so radically different from the East Coast where I grew up, but felt incredibly familiar and at like home right from the beginning. And so running was a way that I... um, imprinted myself on my new home and let my home imprint itself on me. And it also became that way that I wrote more consciously um, as a journalist at outside. If I was stuck on a story, 
I wouldn't go for a run just because I was stuck. But I mostly at that point, I didn't have kids. I was running in the evenings after work and I'd be, you know, having worked on a story all day and then I would run and everything would sort of like jostle around in my brain in just the right way and then kind of realign. And um, so that was kind of predominantly the reasons I ran. Um, And also just when I run, I feel most myself, right? I get out of that, like all those shoulds that we all have, like you should have nicer clothes or you should, you know, you should do this or you should do that. You know, and I was just, you know, really purely myself. And and that's what I craved when I run. And how did that change or not change as you became better and better at running? Um, not only in terms of like your ability to get up the mountain, but then when you did start participating in races and you were able to potentially judge yourself against peers. Yeah, it got trickier a little bit. I mean, initially I was running and this is before I had kids and before my dad died, I would, I would just sort of jump in like on a lark to like one trail race a year and I would do really well. And I would sort of get that feedback of like, Hey, you know, you're doing well. Um, but I wouldn't follow it up because, I guess it just wasn't the time I, you know, I was more running was more of this personal thing that I did for my, my writing and for my psyche and, you know, my, and my self-expression. Um, and then, but at, you know, when I did, after my dad died and I was sort of in that intense anxiety phase after he died, where I thought I was dying too, of like a different disease every week. And that was just my grief manifesting that way, which now I see, but I didn't at the time, um, and after I got that through that initial period and I decided I wanted to see how far I could run in terms of an ultra distance and I began racing and I began winning right away. Um, it was, it was tricky. Like I constantly had to find my center line on like the competition is not why I'm doing this. And it's never been my motivating factor in running. There's so many deeper levels to running for me. But it, but when you start winning, it's kind of fun, you know, your ego really likes that and what you want to keep winning. So um, it's easy to get pulled too far out of, of the deeper reasons why you run. And so for me, it's just always recalibrating back to that middle of like, this is about self-expression. This is about creativity. Running is essentially a creative act for me. Um, and it's about connecting to to that real authentic self in me. And you've described yourself as an intuitive runner for like mm-hmm. 99% of your running career, you've been uncoached. So yeah. how has your intuition evolved over time in regards to your running? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think the more I learn practically, like what I need to eat on the trail, and that's just you know, that's just listening to my body, like, and, and, and paying attention, like, oh, that run was really hard. Oh, that's because I was lazy and I didn't eat. Or I just thought like, I didn't need to eat because I wasn't pushing hard. And, um, so the, the more runs I have, the the more information I have. And it's sort of like, I, I started my career as a, as a fact checker at outside. So I would always sleuth around, you know, checking facts on every story in the magazine. And some, in some ways, you know, training and running is like, is a fact finding mission because you can kind of think, well, what went right? Or, you know, why did that race feel harder than this other race? And, um, and so the more I run the, just the, the, the stronger my intuition is in terms of uh, listening to my body and, and making connections between like, 
oh, maybe you didn't drink enough or maybe what that, that drink they were serving at that hundred K I just ran five days ago was not what I needed, you know, didn't have the calories and you didn't have, you know, the, the energy in your legs. And so it's just, it's kind of piecing it together. And sometimes I think, oh, I should get a coach again, right? Because maybe I could even be better. Um, but but what's better? But what does right? better mean in this scenario? I don't know. Like maybe, you know, I don't know what better means. Like better for me means like being in a flow state longer and being in that fluid state of joyful running, which isn't to say again that it's like you don't feel your feet hitting the ground. I mean, there are some days when you don't. But um, so I think better is to me, it's just more in that flow state for longer periods of time and maybe more consistently. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. It's also one of those things where, again, obviously being kind of being your own boss from a running perspective fits you in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. both personally and athletically. Mm -hmm. And I know this comes up a lot um, when you talk to other people in the running community, but do you feel like that you are that you are at this level in your running career because you're an intuitive runner or in spite Mm -hmm. of being an intuitive runner? I think for sure for me, because I am. Um, I think that, that I've just tapped into that kind of flow state that I find in my writing, that I find in my running and the two harmonize together. And when they're in harmony, I'm unstoppable. Right. And so when I'm running well, I'm writing well. And when I'm writing well, I'm running well. And then you add mothering into the mix. And that's like the third piece of the, the tripod. And I think those, all those three things make me a much better, more competitive athlete, for sure being a mother. You know, um, it just puts everything in perspective and you have to be more creative and you have to like um, be more open about what constitutes real training. And I talk about that in other you know, places about how Leadville, like life was my training plan for Leadville. And I think that made me a more durable. Yeah, but did you, but did you run well there? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I ran yeah. a, I ran a meet. I had the day of the day my of life. your life. Yeah. <laughs> day of my life. <laughs> and won it. And oh my God. I mean, and then yeah. to, to come back from, you know, like, Hey, hearing your orthopedic or, yeah, you know, never, saying, you should never run again. Give up running. And you're like, yeah. All right. And then you end up winning Leadville. Oh my God. What an amazing turnaround. Now this is not in the book. This is post book. No. But it's, this is the next book. This is the next. Well, it's, it's that everlasting story. I guess we're going to forget that you referenced yeah. earlier. Um, yeah. Which is still that. What an incredible like postscript to this story. It's like, oh my goodness. Like this is, again. There's so much meat on that bone. We're not. I can't total even- convert. Total convergence of all those strands of my life in a single day. Right. That's like the universe gets behind you, and you know it's like you're on the wings of something much bigger than you. And I love comparing your experience at Leadville, especially like people shouting out to you on the trail, at like mile 30, yeah. like, Hey, only five minutes behind Addie versus like how you handled the North face 50 oh, years before pain cave, just like, Oh, got went out so fast. This isn't, this is in running home so fast, caught, caught up was in that ego mind and that sort of like striving and was never really in my body that day. And I certainly was not in the landscape, which is incredibly stunning and did not tap into the energy of those mountains or the beauty of that. And, and that was really my goal going into Leadville is like, use the mountains energy. They have their own flow. 
And if I can tap into that, like they can do some of the work for me. I know that sounds sort of out there, but I felt that intuitively and I had learned. So each run I have good and bad, you know, are teachers like a, what did I say once that a bad day of training or a bad day of running is a good day of mental training, you know, and you, you learn things like I knew. And for me, what I learned is like, I want that feeling again. And, um, I, or I don't want that feeling. I don't want that feeling I had at the North face of being like completely disconnected from body and environment, you know, and being in my mind, being in my brain of like that ego brain of like, let's keep up. All right. You have to roll time for mm-hmm. one last question. I feel like I could talk to you forever. If for, I know, I feel like we just got going if for no other reason, just, <laughs> just selfishly. I just love hearing you talk about things and write about things. But, um, last thing is you have this amazing walking partner who's like, oh, who's yes. like the best Zen practitioner around. So oh. how have you been able to incorporate mindfulness in like the craziness of your life, being a writer, a high level runner and a parent and just, just, all of this stuff, how has mindfulness in your practice in that endeavor um, come to bear in how you live your life? That's a great question. So you're talking about my friend, Natalie Goldberg, who is like an incredible Zen, both student of Zen and teacher of it and writing teacher. And um, she came into my life very serendipitously, like, you know, in sort of a flow state too. Um, And we would walk together and she would sort of give me these snippets of wisdom. Um, and like really, the, and it comes off like exactly how she is in the book is how she is in real life. She'll just say this like astounding, um, you know, astounding comment that you can really only understand with your body. Like if your analytical brain tries to make sense of it, you're just kind of spinning. But I would understand what she would say, you know, with, you know, in all of me, in my, in a different part of my consciousness. And so I started trying to use a little bit of mindfulness. And this, this was directly as a result of my anxiety that I felt after my dad died. I thought that if I could sit a little bit, I would calm myself and it it worked, but I I was not, you know, I didn't, I wasn't very skilled practitioner of sitting meditation and I'm still a, you know, rank beginner, but I find that it's really essential to both my writing and my running and my mothering um, is to sit. And because when you sit and I'll sit like only 10 minutes, you know, my stamina for sitting is far less than my stamina for running. But when I sit, you know, you, it's not that you empty your mind of thoughts. That's not true, but you, your thoughts come and you can see them and then you can let them go without attaching to it and be, having it become your story. And so that's very helpful as a runner, because a lot of times when you're in running, you know, if you're in an ultra and at mile 30, your calf starts to hurt, you can really get attached to that story. Like, oh, my calf's about to blow up. My race is ending. You know, I suck. And, but mindfulness teaches you to just see that thought and be like, well, that might happen, or it might not, I might not have any trouble with my calf. And so to sort of hold those contradictions that we were talking about earlier about my dad, like hold both sides, um, is really the great gift of a sitting practice, um, and to be open to both and not to get attached to the one or the other. And when you don't get attached to the result, you're much more present to the process, Um, and that is truly beneficial as a writer, you know, like I'm not thinking about 
what the book is going to be in the end. I'm thinking about how to tell the sentence, you know, how to write the sentence right now and being in the moment. And I think it just makes the book and the running more alive. Well, thank you for sharing all of it. You did it beautifully. <laughs> and I hope so. I can't recommend I this book strongly enough. I, I was just blown away oh, right from the start. you're such a super fan. I love it. Um, I love it. And also, thank you for, thank you for narrating the audiobook. I mean, I do, for every one book I read, I'll listen to 10. So I really Mm -hmm. appreciated that as well. Well, that was a whole exciting process too, to to relive the story, like by living in it. You know, it took four days to record it. It was really cool. I can imagine. Thank you so much, Katie. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. Once again, Katie, thank you for coming on the show. This was such a pleasure. My goodness. I I swear, I said this in the intro, I said it during the episode, and I'm going to say it now too. I could talk to this woman for hours. What an unbelievable person. I cannot recommend this book highly enough. Go pick it up, Running Home. Thank you, Mercury Mile, for sponsoring this and all episodes of the Rambling Runner podcast. You can check them out at mercurymile.com and use code RAMBLINGRUNNER10 to save $10 at checkout. First of all, let me just say, thank you so much to everybody who comments who shares the show, rates, reviews, all of that, I really, really appreciate it. If for no other reason, then it leads to relationships that you never know what's going to happen. Like right now, I have a new podcast producer. That's right. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be here without you know people sharing the episode because that's exactly how it happened. I am so thankful that David Margetti is producing this podcast because now the audio finally matches the high quality of the guests. I am wonderful, wonderfully lucky to have such good guests on this show. And now, finally, the audio matches the quality of their conversation. Thank you so much, David, for doing that. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great day and happy running. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.